So today we're going to talk about the historical significance, key words, key people, key steps in synthesis, the problems, concepts, takeaway themes and ideas, and future initiatives and possible undergraduate laboratory applications. So ultimately, we believe that the cause of this product existence is based in God. Um, bacteria and archaea are the unicellular organisms that really produce B12 on Earth. The total synthesis of B12 was developed in 1972 by scientists at Harvard and P.K. Sirup in Switzerland, and Dr. Folkers in 1927 was able to discover and isolate the compound. So if we look at the history of B vitamins overall, we see B2 riboflavin was discovered in 1933, it was isolated. B6 pyridoxine in 1934 was discovered. And in 1938, the active compound B6 was isolated. So Dr. Folkers and his team determined the structure of B6 pyroxidine, and in 1940, B5 was reported by Merck. So let's talk about some key people. So John G. White and Dorothy Hodgkin played a large role in discovering the X-ray crystallographic structure of vitamin B12. K. Burha um, discovered the, he determined the partial synthesis of vitamin B12 from cobiric acid, and Robert Woodward and Albert Eschenloser they work together to determine the total synthesis of vitamin B12, which is reported in So, Ari Woodward, one of my favorite scientists that I learned about as well, on the time of Ari Woodward, he determined the total synthesis of vitamin B12, and also other natural products such as quinine and cholesterol, and in 1965, he won the Nobel Prize. Albert Eschenwolder, was actually still alive today in his 90s, um, worked with Ari Woodward to determine the photosynthesis and he contributed to synthetic organic chemistry and he won the Davy Medal. Dorothy Hodgkin was a really good extra crystallographer and in 1964 she won the Nobel Prize. So, in terms of its significance, the reason why I chose B12 is because it has clinical significance and that it is used to treat acute cyanide poisoning. It's a popular topic in terms of nutrition, discussion, and energy. The total chemical synthesis of it is cool. And also, six Nobel Prizes were awarded directly and indirectly and associated with vitamin B12. So in terms of treating acute cyanide poisoning, the reason why hydroxycobalamin is able to treat acute cyanide poisoning is because this hydroxide is displaced by a cyanide and it's passed out as cyanocobalamin, so it's harmless in terms of excretion. Now, scientific name of what I'll be focusing on, the form of B12 I'll be focusing on, is cyanocobalamin. The metal center is cobalt. It also functions as a coenzyme, but this R group is 5-adenosyl, but it's different from the cyanide that's attached there in cyanocobalamin. There's a macrocyclic structure, which is a corin. It's similar to the porphyrin in heme, B12, like many like B and C vitamins, are water soluble vitamins, and B12 is metabolized in the liver and excreted by the kidney. So animals store B12 in, in their liver and muscles, and some pass it into their eggs and milk. So this is just showing you that you have nine B vitamins, but the one we're going to focus on in this discussion is B12. So this piqued my curiosity. B12, as a coenzyme, complements the catalysis in several different ways. But if we just generalize all of this, 
This is the stereospecific interchange of groups on adjacent carbons, all of these things. If you to generalize all the Um, in terms of nutritional benefits, it functions as a cofactor in DNA synthesis. It's a cofactor in fatty acid and amino acid metabolism. It's important in normal functioning of the nervous system, and it also functions in the maturation of developing rare blood cells. So this is the coenzyme form, and this is the five that is sort of attached as the R group in this. Showing you your side, you can have the cyanide, the hydroxyl, the methyl carbonyl, or the denosyl carbonyl. You have different R groups. So, the synthesis of vitamin B12. As you see here, you have ring A, B, C, and D. Those are synthetic targets. Um, you have the chrysin condensation, you have cycle addition, oxidation, all of these steps that you're seeing right here. I chose to briefly show these steps because these were the 38 steps that I had to focus on in writing my paper. <laughs> and this was Eschenbos' variant. And it was done, it, start, it was started first before the Harvard variant. The Harvard variant was started in 1961. The Eschenbos' ETA CERT variant started in 1960. So here you see cyanation, analysis. These are several reactions, ring opening, the RNA-cert reaction. This one is very interesting. Uh, in the process of me determining that the reaction that was just on this, the screen, in the process of me determining that, I was able to contact one of the former students and gave me insight into the mechanism that was occurring with the reaction. My favorite step, which I'll talk about later, the amino acid condensation, um, cyanation, sulfide contraction, a really interesting step, aminolysis. You see the ring getting bigger and bigger. So we are forming the macrostatic structure that composes a large portion of vitamin B12. This is a very important step, which I'll talk about later. The complexation step. Alkylation, reduction, esterification, reduction, and hydrolysis, now analysis, and the final step in terms of synthesizing cyanocobalamin. So let's talk about some key words um, that were like pinpoints I focused on as I studied the B12 reaction schema. So these are some these are several words that stood out to me. Homologation, decorine, aminolysis, cyanation, methanolysis, the Woodman-Hoffman rules, and protection and deprotection. So homologation. This is primarily the main idea to take away from this is this occurs when the repeated structural unit is increased. And in this schema, the repeated structural unit was the methylene or the CH2. Um, now we have the macrocycle, which composes a large portion of the vitamin B12 molecule, and this was, or this is, a porphyrin, which is different from the porphyrin. One difference is the porphyrin is larger. Now we have aminolysis, which was a uh, step that was repeated in this whole schema of vitamin B12, 
and you can see the difference that you have occurring here is you have an alkylated amine being converted to an overall amide molecule. And your thionation, the main thing to take note of here is you have a carbonyl being converted to a thiol carbonyl, in which you have the oxygen and the carbonyl being converted to a sulfur. And then you have methanolysis, in which you have methanol, this is just showing you an example from the schema, in which you have methanolysis occurring. But methanolysis in general is when you have methanol functioning as a nucleophile, similar to how water functions as a nucleophile in hydrolysis. <coughs> now, the Woodward-Hoffman rules. One thing to take away from Woodward-Hoffman rules is it gives us insight into the mechanisms of some of the reactions <coughs> in the schema. And also, it tells us that reactions are never possible proceed through aromatic transition states. So if we look at this mechanism, if you go in the forward direction, you see protection with ethylene glycol, and if you go in the reverse direction, you see deprotection. So key steps in the synthesis. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Lord of the Rings. It's almost as if it was being they were being told, you shall not synthesize, but they still did. <laughs> so, it took them 12 years, but they still did it. Now, as I mentioned already, the alternative variants, 1960 variant, which was started at ETH Zurich, and the 1961 variant, which was done at Harvard, it was collaboratively pursued in 1965. And the interesting thing to note is it required the work of 91 postdoctoral fellows and 12 PhD students from, I think, 19 different nations. Now, as you see here, you have A, B, C, and D, and you have the pouring microscopic structure. Now, I chose to put this in the presentation because there are some similarities between the Woodward variant and the Eschimoza variant, in that you have similar intermediates in which you have the cyanobromide, and then you have the thiodextrin, which is similar in the Eschimoza variant. So you have similar reagents and intermediates um, both involved during the rings, but the differences occur in the two different variants is that you have the closure, the cycloatomerization reaction occurring between rings A and B in the Harvard variant, whereas in the ETH variant you have ring closure A and B, and this occurs by a photochemical process involving the frequency of light. Um, the stories of the rings. So, <coughs> I chose to work for the synthesis, um, study the photosynthesis, and I picked out key steps that were my favorite from my studies of organic chemistry and just that made a lot of sense to interpret the mechanism. So you have the Christian-Smith condensation in which you had ethyl methyl ketone reacting with acetaldehyde, and then you had the ring opening and the cyanation step. Both of all three of which stood out to me again. One thing to take note of in our synthesis of all four ring precursors of vitamin B12 is that all involve the first step being Heisman-Smith condensation. And you have cyanation in this case. You have thioesterification, reductive decarbonylation by a metal catalyst, and Heisman-Smith condensation. And this step, as I mentioned, I got insights in this from George Schreiber, who's a professor 
that was, was a former student of Harvey Woodward. Now, my favorite example from the entire synthesis of vitamin B12 was the amino ester enamine condensation with a sulfide contraction using alkylated coupling. And as you can, if you look at this picture, you see that there are some, there are some differences in that this is written in German. Yes. It required me doing a little bit of translation by Google Translate. I wanted to get what they were saying, but it was worth it because as I looked through it, I got more insight into what was happening mechanistically with reactions in this people. So some key problems that these people faced when they were synthesizing vitamin B12. The introduction of the metal center cobalt, that was a challenge, they used cobalt chloride. The closure of the macrocyclic ring, which makes sense because the two different variants, the 1961 variant done at Harvard and the 1960 variant done at ETH Zurich, they close the ring in different ways at different places. Um, the S differentiation, because if you look at cobaric acid, which was the synthetic target, um, if you look at cobaric acid, it has several different S groups. So you have to choose between whether you're going to protect one and then react the other, or deprotect one and then deal with um, you have the introduction of the methyl group at the bridges, um, specifically at ring A and B, and between C and D, and then you have to restore the lost chemistry that occurred during the total <coughs> reaction schema. So this is showing you the methyl groups at the bridges. Um, how they approach these problems. The main thing that they did was they worked with each other and they did an exhaustive study of the relationship between various isomer bioethers. <coughs> and this was something that stood out to me. In all of this, it required them using every conceivable precaution in respect to purity of reagents, exclusion of oxygen and moisture, and they had to do this with the greatest possible speed. Talk about a tough synthesis. Yeah? <laughs> 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 Imagine trying to do this, do this in the lab over the semester. It would be really hard. Not that I didn't have to do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, they used rigorous stoichiometric relationships, which makes a lot of sense because the, the reagents are expensive and introduced. Now, key concepts I want you to take away from this presentation. Now, you have condensation, contraction, complexation, combination, <coughs> reduction, and the implications of the wood and Hoffman rules. So, in this example right there, you have condensation occurring, which basically is two molecules coming together and result in the release at once. In this case, you have water being released. This right here is the sulfide contraction, specifically Eschenroser sulfide contraction, which is a key step in the joining of rings A and B and B and C <coughs> in the macrocyclic structure for vitamin B12. Um, complexation, very important because cobalt plays a big role in determining the biochemistry of B12. Elimination was a key step. <coughs> Reduction was also a key step. And the implications of the Wolfram-Hoffman rules, it helped inform what will occur in different cyclo-isomerization reactions, specifically the AD variant, which was the Harvard variant. Some takeaway themes and ideas. Science is collaborative. That was one of the things I recognized as I read through the research and looked through the literature. 
all of those people work together on this one specific research project. Research takes time. I am not sure whether I would want to work 12 years just determining the structure of one vitamin. Um, yeah. And future initiatives and studies. Um, they also they also mentioned they want to know why cobalt was so effective as a metal center. Um, I think more undergraduate applications can come about from this because you learn a lot. You basically cover like a series of reactions, some of which you study in two semesters of organic chemistry, one and two. And considering how vitamin B12 is mastered <coughs> currently using microbial fermentation, um, I think more studies can be done in terms of efficiency and mass quantity studies. Now, this is what it took me a while to figure this out, to model through it, and figure out where can I possibly fit in an undergraduate laboratory application, or suggest one, I should say. Now, <coughs> instead of suggesting going from hydroxycobalamin to cyanocobalamin, which is what, what takes place in the body, that's why they use hydroxycobalamin, as a treatment for acute cyanide poisoning. Instead of suggesting that, I suggested that we convert cyanocobalamin to hydroxycobalamin. And the reason why I suggested that is because it would be a challenge to introduce or use cyanide due to its toxicity, even though it would be easy to do the reaction, due to the toxicity of cyanide, that causes some concern, especially in undergraduate laboratory settings. However, cyanocobalamin, which is vitamin B12, which is easily accessible, because it's found in different entrants and it's also found as uh, a chemical. Um, it can be easily found, and hydroxycobalamin is used in medical settings. So it can be easily accessed. Um, also, cyanocobalamin is oxidized to hydroxycobalamin through the use of absorbic acid, which I saw in this study right here. And also, under a specific frequency of light, namely ultraviolet light, cyanocobalamin is converted to hydroxycobalamin. So, there are many ways to do this, and we would be able to confirm that we carry out the reaction through the use of UV spectrum. Um, specifically, if you look at the last peak of the different UV spectrum, you see that cyanocobalamin has a third peak at 550 nanometers, but this one has a peak at 526. So the difference in peaks would confirm to us that we achieve our goal in the reaction. Now, in conclusion, overall, in my opinion, synthesis was elegant <laughs> and elaborate because Harvard, uh, initially when I started doing this, started doing this research project for um, chem thesis, I looked at the Woodward variant, but the Woodward variant has 70 steps. I chose not to use that one. I chose to use the Ashimoto variant, had 38 steps. Um, exhibited, exhibited many types of reactions in inorganic and in organic chemistry, and it shows that hard work and collaboration with the right resources in science pays off. Yes, it requires persistence, single-minded, solitary hard work, and a belief in the importance of research problems, all the things that require as I conclude, I would like to thank God, my family, um, my professors who are all present, um, and also my friends who are sitting here in the audience. Thank you. <laughs>